Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here at Austin Oaks, we want to be the movement that sees Austin saturated with the gospel by developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus Christ. Good morning, church family. I want to say good morning uh, to our guests and friends who are with us this morning. I want to say good morning to those who are online. Um, also want to do something because I think it's, it's good and right to do. Um, in this season known as COVID, right, we've been through a lot of difficulties, a lot of ups and downs, and there's been some heartaches and things along the way. And Scripture commands believers to mourn with those who mourn. And so we have grieved with others in this church who have lost loved ones due to COVID and other things, but it also commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And um, I'm not sure if he's still in this room or not, but a dear brother who's part of our church who had a life-battling struggle with COVID, there he is, is with us this morning. And so we rejoice with the Lord's faithfulness to you, my friend, and also... It's amazing, too, the power of community in small groups and hearing the stories of how their small group walked alongside of them and loved them and prayed for them. I want to say to those in a small group, I don't know who you are, so I don't know where to look. Um, thanks for being Jesus to them. What a great example for us as a church. And so, man, so good. So good. I don't know what to do now. Um, whew. Let's just go into it, huh? How good's your memory? There's a transition. How many of you have had this happen to you where all of a sudden you're like going along your way and something triggers you like, oh, I got to do this or I need to put this into my calendar or I need to reply to a text, an email, or maybe you just had the greatest thought of all time and you wanted to put that down somewhere so you wouldn't forget it, right? And then you grab your phone. You're like, okay, I got to put this in, whatever it is. And next thing you know, the onslaught of the little red thing that says there's notifications from whatever social media vacuum you consume draws you in and you scroll through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And next thing you know, 10 minutes go by and you're like, what was I doing? Anybody ever have that happen to them? Like in the Ziski household growing up as a kid, one of the things that my dad was notorious for was forgetting things. And we used to make fun of him all the time. And now that I'm older, I'm like, I am so sorry, dad. I'm so sorry. Because it happens to me all the time. Like anybody here in this room, you ever go to your car and you get in your car and you're like, oh, I forgot something. You got to get out real quick and run back in the house. You grab it and you run back in the car and you realize you forgot something else. Like anybody? Okay. How many of you this morning, how many of you have ever missed a meeting? How many of you have been ghosted on meetings? Ooh. Forgotten a birthday? You know where I'm going next. How many of you have forgotten an anniversary? You know? Yeah, see, my wife gave me the greatest gift ever. 
You see, on my birthday, she gave me her yes at the altar. And so, yes, not only do I have the greatest wife in the world, but also she gave me the greatest gift, unbeknownst to her, the ability to never forget her anniversary. Thank you. Because I, I forget details, I forget dates, I forget what grades our kids are in. I, I have to put in like the year that our oldest daughter was born as a password. So if you steal my phone, if you know the year that my daughter was born, that's the password to get in. Like I have to do those things because I quickly forget things all the time. How good is your memory? Do you know that our culture today in the way that it, it brings about technology and messages and the 140 character tweets and headlines that it's actually wiring our brains to have shorter and shorter attention spans so that we actually have a horrible short-term memory. It's happening. It's like attention spans are horrible. And so I want to show with you, I want to show you this thing called the forgetfulness curve. And some of you might know this. I look at this forgetfulness curve, and I don't call it the forgetfulness curve. I call it the chart of despair for pastors. Okay? Because what this tells us is that you will forget things quickly. Right? So it's like all about retention of what you've heard or your experience. And what they discovered is about around day four to day six, you will only remember roughly anywhere between 15 to 25% of whatever you heard six days ago. So that means this morning, if you heard last week's sermon, you've only remembered five to 10%. I don't know why I do this. Right? This, it's like, man, we are so incredibly forgetful. Remembering is important. Cultures are shaped by what they remember and what they forget. There are certain things that we celebrate, holidays, we got museums and history. All of that stuff is formative material to a culture. So essentially what we remember and what we forget really does shape who we are and also gives us some insight into who we are becoming. Now, I want to ask you a question real quick. Have you ever considered how important it is to remember the things of God? Have you ever thought about that? How important it is to remember things? How important our memory is to discipleship? Or maybe another way of asking this question is, do you know how important our memory is to God? Does God care about what we remember? Would you believe me if I told you that Satan cares just as much about our memory, what we remember and what we forget as much as God does? Would you believe me if I were to tell you that? I mean, he is obsessed with what we remember. Jesus said that we have an enemy and he's out there to steal, kill, and destroy. He's there to rob and take away the truths of God. He wants to rip away the fact that we've been forgiven by God's grace and that we're not under condemnation because of Jesus. He wants us to forget all of those things. In fact, C.S. Lewis, I love what he said, is that Satan doesn't actually need us to deny God. Satan just needs us to forget God. And when we forget God, we slowly drift away and we get ourselves consumed with everything else. We get distracted, we get busy, and we are in a world, we are in a culture, we live in a value system and ideologies that are out there competing for your attention and your heart and your soul and your loyalty at every corner you turn. 
the messages that are constantly coming at us, are constantly trying to distract us, constantly trying to get us to forget God, to forget who he is and what he has done. Friends, remembering Jesus is of utmost importance to the church of Jesus Christ. Remembering Jesus is an essential catalyst for our discipleship. When we forget Jesus, we go on this path towards destruction. And it's so subtle and it's so sneaky. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to see this event, this story in the upper room where Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. What we call in the church communion or the Lord's Supper. And this story that we're going to look at, look at are just, it's a few moments before Jesus gets betrayed. A few moments before Jesus, Peter denies Jesus. A few moments before they all deny him and basically abandon him. Before he goes to the cross, before he gets humiliated, before his body is broken, before his blood is shed. At this moment, this moment in the nation of Israel and this moment in, his, in the history of the church, Jesus is going to reframe something so significant that if we understood this, and if we strove to remember Jesus the way that Jesus would have us remember him, the church would truly shine like stars in the sky. And a crooked and depraved generation, the church truly would be that city on the hill. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 22. Verse 19 and 20. And I'm just going to read these two verses just to set the scene. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When I prep a message, my first practices, I guess you could say, in forming a message is to spend time with the Lord, just me and the text, letting it get into my heart. Lord, what is it that I need to hear? What is it that I need to learn? And then I start praying, God, what is it that you want us to hear as a church? And there's so many parts of this story. There's so many interesting angles in this story to preach on. But what I felt that like God was just pressing on my heart was to talk about the importance of remembering Jesus. Remember Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget the gospel. If you were with us last week, we nailed this one. Hold on, Timothy. To the gospel. There's going to be a culture in the world out there that's going to come at you from every angle. Don't forget Jesus. Remember him. We have to remember him because we would be foolish to not be aware that there is one in this world that is absolutely obsessed with stealing the truth of God from your life. There is one who has influenced the world, the culture, and the ideologies in this world to cause you to get distracted and to forget God. We have to remember Jesus. The reason why Satan cares so much about what you remember and what you conveniently forget is because he knows that if you forget God, 
that if he can steal the truth away from you, it will lead you to a place you don't want to be. And here's the horrible part about it. When you get to that place, you don't even know how you got there. There's this thing that I just simply call the path of forgetfulness. In Jeremiah 18, 15, God basically paints this picture of what happens. My people forget me. My people have forgotten me. When we forget Jesus, there's an inevitable conclusion to that. It's idolatry. My people have forgotten me, and they make offerings to false gods. When we forget Jesus, we get ourselves on this path of forgetfulness, and the result is, is that we begin to give ourselves to idols. We give ourselves to lesser things, to lesser desires, whatever that is for us. And we see this over and over and over in the history of Israel, which is to serve as a reminder for us, even to the degree that the passage that we're studying is happening around two important festivals that shape the story of Israel. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover. When we forget Jesus, we go on this path. Israel got distracted by the needs and the wants of their time. They got focused on their present issues, their present wealth and status and success, whatever that looks like for them. They got obsessed. They were paying more attention to their present position in life that they began to forget the truths of God. But here's what's even worse. They were still doing their godly things. They were still doing their religious things, but their heart, was far from God. They would just go to the temple, do their thing, and leave, and then give themselves back to the idols. They set aside the God who saved them, who rescued them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And they gave themselves to the gods of the day, which were convenient. Sound a little familiar? Do we get distracted by the demands of our day? Man, I would remember Jesus so much more if I wasn't so, come on, we all say it. We give the most convenient excuse for why we don't give ourselves to Jesus more because we're just so busy, there's so many things. But friends, here's the truth. Every yes, you say no to something, and every no, you say yes to something. Things you're saying yes to, you're essentially saying no to something. And what you're saying no to, you're saying yes to something. Remembering is a worship issue. Do we give ourselves into the false promises of the convenient idols of our time? The empty promises, the empty desires, the quick fixes, the quick solutions? How has our wealth and our comfort caused us to forget God? Not that it's bad. God blesses us. But a lot of times is enjoy those blessings with caution. What about the obstacles and the crisis in this world where Satan wants to go, God has left you, God has abandoned you, fix it on your own. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 19, I want to encourage you at some point, read this. 
when they're on the eve of entering into the promised land and Moses wants to tell the nation of Israel, listen, before you go into the promised land, the land that has been promised to you, the land that's been given to Abraham, like when you go there and when you inherit this land, this land of prosperity, this land of blessing, this land where like you're gonna have like these grapes that are massive, you're gonna have these vineyards that you don't even have to plant or work on, you're gonna inherit these homes and these buildings and, and when you get there, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Don't forget that I was the God that brought you out of Egypt, the slavery and the bondage of those 400 years. Don't forget that it was my covenant and my blessing and my promise that got you here. Don't do it because you'll start to think that it was because of you. You did this. And when you do that, friends, that's idolatry. Who was it that gave you the ability to get into this promised land? Who led you out of Egypt? Who led you these 40 years in the wilderness? Who gives you the ability to even acquire wealth? It's me. Don't forget me. Over and over and over, scriptures exhort us and challenge us. Do not forget. Remember. Do not forget. Remember. All over the place. Deuteronomy, I would summarize it as a book of do not forget. Psalm 77 do not forget the deeds of the Lord. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, remember the heights of which you have fallen. Remember where you were before Jesus saved you. Remember that you are a sinner. Remember that you are an enemy of God. Remember your salvation Remember in, in Revelation 3, 3, remember what you've received and heard. Hold on to that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, which is the verses after what we preached on last week. Timothy, remember Jesus. We remember because it stirs us up. It shapes us and informs us because if we forget God, friends, the world and its ideologies and those values will shape you and it will conform you to their likeness and you will give your heart to idols. What we remember and what we forget is so important. That's why God commands us to do what we are to do. That's why God gave us spiritual disciplines, not just to make us like confined, like little toy soldiers that we're all going to do the same thing, or we're not going to have a heart, we're not going to like anything, and God's going to ruin all the fun. God gave us disciplines so that we remember Jesus so that our minds get renewed, so that we become conformed to the likeness of Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. I want to pull up the forgetfulness curve again, this ever so depressing chart. What they discovered, though, is like, okay, if that's the case, if we forget things that quickly, what do we do in order to be able to retain information? And so they started to do these things called space retention or space remembering. So on this next graph, you'll start to see that when you begin to rehearse things, even immediately after this, this is why we like sermon-based small groups, right? So that the pastor doesn't feel depressed that you forget everything. So you go back and you rehearse and you talk this through. But like even in the church world, if you were to leave church within the first hour and talk about what God has done in your life, the likelihood of you remembering it and retaining it is infinitely higher. 
The more we repeat things, the more we rehearse things over time, the more we retain those things. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because I remember at one point reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 12. I remember the first time I read this and I went, praise Jesus, I don't live in those days. Because that sounds legalistic. But now thinking about the importance of remembering, I see this differently. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Shema. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, the Shema is something that is always said. It is on the forefront. They're remembering their God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then would come out this great command. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. They would rehearse this as a means to stir them up. In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, they shall be deeply embedded into your mind and your soul. They should be tattooed on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he promised your forefathers with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all the good things that you did not fill, cisterns you did not take vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and when you are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I read this and I'm like, that sounds obsessive. Like always talk about God. Like when I rise, talk about him. When I sit, talk about him. Like I read this and I go, they're fanatics. And then it dawned on me, ooh, am I just making a convenient excuse in my 21st century sophisticated grace walking with Jesus? How much time do I remember Jesus? How much time do I allow the word of the Lord to dwell in me richly? How much time do I allow the spirit to search my heart how much time do I talk about the most important thing in the world? It ain't a legalistic thing. I don't see it that way. Not anymore. I see it as a spiritual formation thing. God did that for our good. Because he knows that when we forget God, we're on a path of forgetfulness that leads to idolatry. And the end result is grim. In order to be the movement of God in this world, church, listen, we must take care to remember Jesus. We need to embed it deeply in our hearts. We need to keep it front and center. That's why we say we are simply all about Jesus. We're all about the gospel. And the reason why I took that time to unpack all of that wasn't because I went on this tangent. 
It was because I wanted us to look at this story in the upper room differently and understand when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, it wasn't just a thing that we do on the first Sunday of every month. We've got to have communion. No, this is supposed to be spiritually formative for us to become more and more like Jesus. So let's look at this for a moment. Let's look into this faithful night when everything was coming to a head and the heart of God would forever be on display. And so as we do this, I want us to ask a very important question. What does this story, what does this event tell us or show us about Jesus? We need to remember who Jesus is. We need to remember what Jesus has done. So let's ask this question, what does this say about Jesus? The first thing I want to bring to you or suggest to you that it says about Jesus is this. Jesus gives it all. He will always give it all. Chapter 22, starting with verse 1 and 2 now. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Now, the backdrop of this scene is the festivals that are happening. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover. These were two times of celebration that God has given Israel to shape them, to form them, to help them remember who they were in Egypt and what God has done to rescue them, to save them out of that slavery. And so these were moments of great celebration for the nation of Israel. Thousands of pilgrims would flock into Jerusalem and as we think about this, the significance of the unleavened bread is revealed in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3. They're exhorted, do not eat bread made with yeast. For seven days, eat unleavened bread. Why? It's to remind them of the bread of affliction because of the affliction they experienced in Egypt at that time. And how quickly they were um, called to leave Egypt when God rescued them there. This was a significant portion of the Passover. And in this scene, what we're going to see is Jesus is going, Hey, that feast that you've been celebrating for these thousands of years is now fulfilled in me. He's going to change it and reframe it and start talking about there's a greater significance to this unleavened bread. It's my body and the affliction that I will endure when I go to the cross for you. Jesus gives it all. The Passover, it's a celebration of when God rescued them out of Egypt, when he gave them this institution about slaughtering a lamb, you know, having the meal, and then putting uh, blood on the doorpost. And so when the angel of death came, which was judgment on the firstborn, if there was blood that was covering you, the angel of judgment would pass over you and you would be saved. This was a significant celebration, not just to remember their deliverance from evil in Egypt, but also to point to the coming Messiah. In this Passover, there were so many things that they would do to remember this moment. There was a set order of service, and it's so beautiful, so beautiful. They would recline at their table. Why? Because they were remembering they're no longer slaves. 
We recline because God has freed us. They would talk about the bitter herbs as a recollection of the bitter slavery, the stewed fruit, which just sounds disgusting, and its color and consistency looked like rust, was to remind them of the bricks that they had to make underneath Pharaoh's oppression. The roasted lamb and the eating of the lamb remembered them, the covering of the blood and the passing over of judgment. And in this moment, the story that forever shaped the nation of Israel to point to them, to God's heart of forgiveness and salvation, Jesus is going to reframe in this moment and say, I'm the Passover lamb. I am it. My body will be broken and my blood will be shed. Before it used to be the blood of all of these sacrifices used to pour out oceans of blood to remind you of the seriousness of sin and that the penalty of sin is death. But you weren't able to fulfill that. You weren't able to be right under the old law. Jesus has now come and said, I'm the new covenant. This cup, my blood that's poured out for you, is the new covenant. It is grace. It is me doing it for you because you can't do it for yourself. Jesus gave it all. When you look at this, when we remember Jesus, you have to remember he gave his life for you. Remember Jesus. The second thing that I want to propose to you that this says about Jesus, and it's very important, is that Jesus is in control. He's in absolute control. Just look at the surroundings here. I mean, this is a messed up, ironic story of contradictions. You got these chief priests and the scribes who were to be leading the celebration of the Passover, celebrating the forgiveness and God's rescuing from slavery in Egypt to point towards the Messiah. And they're here going, we need to kill Jesus who's there to basically reframe that whole thing and say, it's me. You got Judas, who was amongst Jesus' disciples for three years, who's influenced deeply by Satan. And we know in John 6 that he was never truly a believer. John even mentioned that. He was with them, which is a fascinating thing that Jesus would allow. We got this religious system. We got the world. We got Rome. We got the leaders. We got even one of his close companions, all conspiring all hell breaking loose to stop Jesus from going to the cross. To stop the plan of salvation. And Jesus is complete control. He knows what Judas is doing. He knows what the leaders are doing. This moment was so significant that he even went ahead and prepared the room that nobody knew about. He sent Peter and John to go, hey, when you go into Jerusalem, you're going to see this guy who basically I told to be here at this time, and he's got the room prepared. You just say, hey, the master's looking for this room, and he will go take you there. Nobody knows God's in control because this moment is so significant. Here's why this matters. When all hell breaks loose in the world around us, and when all hell can break loose even within the church because we're sinful people, and even in your own hearts, in your own lives, your own families, Jesus is in control. The gates of hell cannot overcome the movement of Jesus Christ. The world systems and its values and ideologies have nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. Nothing will thwart the mission of Jesus. Nothing. These folks who think they're going to execute Jesus, they think they're actually doing it, right? No, Jesus already resolved to go to Jerusalem because he knows and has determined already, I'm going to give my life 
because Jesus gives all and he's in control. The third thing that I want to suggest that this says about Jesus is that Jesus loves fully to the end. Jesus loves fully to the end. Who's around that table? Think about this for a moment. You got a betrayer. You got a denier. A bunch of young men who will all abandon Jesus when the going gets tough. And Jesus knows that. In fact, if you read on in this story, one of the most pathetic scenes, in my opinion, in Scripture, is after Jesus talked about how his body's going to be broken, how his blood is going to be shed, and then he says, There's gonna, one of you is going to betray me, and they're like, is it me, is it me? And they're kind of like, you know, kind of doing something like, is it him, is it him, what is this? And then within a few short moments, they start arguing amongst each other. I'm going to be greater than you. I'm better than you. My position, my throne would be this. Hey, Jesus, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God after Jesus just sat there and said, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shed for you. I've been delighting and longing to share this Passover with you. And in fact, in John chapter 13, the same scene, Jesus took off his outer garment, got on his knees, and washed the feet of betrayer, of a denier, of godless people, of sinners and enemies. He did it to show the full extent of his love. Remember Jesus. He loves the ungodly. He loves the sinner. And he loves the enemies of God. Even in this moment, the consistency of the love of God never flinches. He loves fully. If at any moment you think somehow, some way, you're better than any of these folks, careful. We all were the ungodly, and at moments we still reflect ungodly behaviors. Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Sinners, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Enemies, Romans 5, 10, for if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? The fact that Jesus showed us in this moment in the upper room how he loved, I'm just going to pick on Judas, how we see Jesus loving an enemy, loving a sinner, and loving an ungodly man reminds us of his love for us. That it's through the cross that we are able to be saved, not because we're great. It's because we're ungodly. We're sinners, and apart from Jesus, we're enemies of God. That's why he gave all, and that's why he's in complete control. There's hope for us in our ungodly ways. There's deliverance for us who are caught in sins. And friends, there's great reconciliation even while we are his enemies. Luke 22, 19. And he took the bread... 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it. He said, guys, this is my body. I don't think Jesus went, hey, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. I'm pretty sure he let that moment hang. This is my body. I'm going to give it all for you. I'm going to give it all for the world. Don't worry about the enemy. Don't worry about the world. Don't worry about the religious leaders. They're not in control. I'm in control. I'm giving it all for you. And I want you to love. Listen, guys. Hey, stop arguing about who's the greatest. Listen. That's my version. Listen. I want you to love people the way I've loved you. The Gentile rulers, they lord it over you, but not you. The greatest among you will, will serve like me. Remember me. And the early church did this. They remembered this. It began to form them and shape them. Did you know that the first 300 years of the early church, if you were to kind of do this Google search, like what was the most impactful command of Jesus in the first 300 years of the early church, what do you think that verse would be? It ain't John 3.16. And ain't is a word, just in case you thought that. The most popular verse in the early church was love your enemies. Over and over, you can see it inscribed. It's in church docs. It was significant. And they celebrated this. And that's why Paul, when he instituted this, like saying this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also am delivering to you by means of remembrance that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Like, we're going to take this. We're going to remember Jesus, but we're also going to be doing what he did for us. And in the same way, he took the cup after saying, uh, after supper, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus. Because it shapes us and it forms us. So what are some things that we can do as followers of Jesus to embed the gospel into our hearts? What can we do to have that spaced repetition so we do not forget Jesus? Let me suggest three things. First, present yourself continually. Present yourself to Jesus daily. Carry your cross daily. When you wake up in the morning, say, Jesus, here I am. I get this out of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. In light of the gospel, therefore, my brothers and sisters, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus, here I am. Today, this moment, this hour, here I am. And then it says, renew your mind. Because quite frankly, there's a lot of junk in our lives that we need to deconform from. 
the ways of this world and the ways of thinking. We need our minds renewed so we can test and discern the will of God, what is good and pleasing. So I'm going to ask the question, when we get up in the morning, we present ourselves, how well are we allowing the word of God dwell in us richly? Like Paul says in Colossians 3, let the word dwell in you richly. How are you allowing God's word to be in your heart? How are you allowing it to shape you and to form you and to guide you? This is something we do personally at our individual level, my relationship with Jesus. But church, this is why we gather together. This is something we're exhorted to do as a community. This is why we do things like Lord's Supper together. This is why we do small groups. And so we're doing this together. And that's why we talk about membership because we need to be doing this together. Just like it says in Hebrews, brothers and sisters, let's not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing and all the more as the day approaches. We are to be doing this and embedding these things of Jesus together. Present yourself. Secondly, remember the gospel daily. Remember the gospel daily. Remember your life story. Where were you before Jesus saved you? Remember that. Remember the heights of which you've fallen. But part of that remembering of the gospel isn't just like you and Jesus and your salvation, but it's also about remembering the mission that God has entrusted us with the gospel. We are to go into this world, tell people about Jesus, helping them to meet, know, and follow him. And the third comes right out of Psalm 16, 8, set Jesus in front of you. I love the way Paul writes, or not Paul, David writes this. I have continually set the Lord before me. Set the Lord before you. A practical way of thinking about this is this. Let Jesus and the gospel be the filter through which everything in your life goes through. Set Jesus before you. Let Jesus be the filter in how you see relationships. Let Jesus be the filter of how you see money. Let Jesus be the filter of how you see politics and your purpose in life. Let Jesus and the gospel be the reference point for every single thing. And one of the best ways we do this, where we present ourselves daily to Jesus, where we remember the gospel, and we set the Lord before us as when the church gathers together, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to remember Jesus. But before we do, I'm going to encourage you just to get your elements ready. and You can tear, make all the noise now. But before we do, I want to ask a few questions. Important questions, and so I ask you to hang with me. What do you think the church would look like if we remember Jesus like this? What do you think the church would look like if personally, individually, and communally, we remembered Jesus like this? I believe with all my heart that we would shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. We would be that city on a hill. And so it's safe to assume that if we forget Jesus, we won't stand out as a church. If we forget Jesus, we will look just like everything else in this world. 
So let's just take a moment and turn our hearts toward God. Why? Why should we remember Jesus? Why should we remember him? Here's how I would answer that question. And it's hard. Remembering Jesus is hard. We're busy, we're distracted. So many things in this world, so many desires and things that we wanna go after and pursue. Why? We remember Jesus because he remembers you. He remembers you. He sees you. He knows you. He came to give his life for you, to free you, to liberate you, to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And Isaiah paints this picture in Isaiah 49, verses 15 through 16 talking about one of the greatest human bonds known to humanity, a mother and a child. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son or daughter of her womb? Even if she were to forget her own child, I will never forget you. I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Guys, this, this bread, my body for you, it's gonna be broken for you. This, this cup of the, of the wine here, it represents my blood that is poured for you because I remember you. So before we do celebrate communion, I want us just to do something that is essential for us as believers to prepare ourselves to receive communion. We need to prepare our hearts. And this is one of those moments where I just wanna encourage you, ask a few questions. Have you forgotten Jesus? And what areas in your life have you forgotten him? Are you too distracted, too busy? What idols seem very convenient and accessible to you that you've forgotten Jesus? Jesus is faithful to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us. That's what this Passover, this Lord's Supper reminds us. He did this so that we could be saved, forgiven, and set free. Use this time now to do work with the Lord and I'll come back up and lead us through communion.